0: beloved listeners, this is Adrienne Marie Brown, and I am going to be hosting on my own today for our election day debrief. Autumn needed to be with her family this morning, and luckily, we were able to find two of the most brilliant humans I know um, to join us and talk about what's happening with this election so far. Um, Kat Aaron, who some of you may know as the podcast producer for Octavia's Parables, part of the Pineapple Media team, Power Mom, as well as voter engagement volunteer extraordinaire, is joining us this morning from Brooklyn, New York. And our other guest is University of Delaware professor Janine Denovage, who Of all the thinkers, writers, speakers, pundits, everyone in the world is my favorite race thinker. And this election is about race in such a major way. So it felt like between these two brilliant minds, we could get some clarity on where we are and what to do. So welcome to the show. Um, Let me remind you of the things that you already know if you've been listening to us for a long time. But I'm Adrienne Marie Brown. I'm a writer, student of miracles and love, emergent strategist, pleasure activist living on Anishinaabe territory, currently known as Detroit, and this is How to Survive the End of the World, our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. So to check in this morning, I'd love to ask both of you to share a little bit more about who you are, how you would self-identify into the world, and how you are this morning. It is the morning after election night, so November fourth morning, and we'll be releasing this tomorrow morning probably. So, yeah, how you doing? Um,
1: <laughs> I am nervous. I am in Philadelphia. I am in the tipping point state. Um, I feel like the nation is in a tipping point. I tried very hard not to wake up today, or wake up as last, like at the last minute, so that today would start at the last possible minute. Like the opposite of Christmas morning. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I feel like yesterday was the real Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> <The, laughs> yeah. The real spooky shit yeah. actually happened yesterday. Um, I feel scared about. Uh, the dishonesty that is underway because on the flip side of that, I feel incredibly empowered by the numbers, by the sheer energy and by the way that this um, wholly imperfect democracy that one actually has to I don't know, find, find a way to love. Like I, I say that I, I love this democracy because I love its, its people, uh, not its processes. Mm. I feel like as it has, it has um, crossed the threshold and it is reckoning with itself in a way. And, and I feel um, I feel good about that. I feel like this path, which is incredibly arduous and obviously... Generations long is the right path, um, and I think that the the progressive movements of which we are a part have set the nation on the right
0: path. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you, Janine. I love that, and I want to note that both of these these speakers that you are going to hear from today are mothers of children that are at very different ages. But wanted to just also check in like how is it being a mom today? You had a voting age baby <laughs> i
1: have um then we'll go to cat i have a I have a voting age baby who some of the healing that I was doing yesterday was looking at our pictures from two thousand and eight um and I'm not in any way like an, an, like an obama delusionist <laughs> um <I'm laughs> I'm not. I'm not that person. You know, like I'm a. I'm a social democrat. I'm a democratic socialist. Excuse me, and um, I'm left of him, and I'm left of a lot of people. But it was. It was a magical moment. So in 2008, I took my son Jalen into the booth, and the pictures that I have for that voting are of his little hand um, uh, voting, and I feel like his generation is actually who. we are here for
0: that's right that's great yeah yeah thank you and cat how are you and you want to add any more about who you are um i think you got it uh
2: the funny thing that you didn't say is that all of us have been knowing each other for a very long time
0: That's true. We're 24, 25 years into friendship, yeah. this this particular circle. Since children, since yeah, children talk. Since we were baby.
2: <laughs> I mean, since before any of us had babies, since we were babies, um, a lot of people around me felt very confident that Biden was going to win. And I was not one of those people at all. Um, I feel like there is... Um, A lot of white people who, when it comes down to it, are choosing white supremacy, but they might not want to vocalize that to pollsters or the people around them. And so I was very not, um, I did not believe the numbers that we were seeing. Um, So I do not feel surprised about where we are. Um, I feel great sadness and disappointment. Um, I have for many, many months had this line reverberating in my head from Saeed Jones who um, said white supremacy is a death cult. And I just feel like there are a lot of people who are choosing um, that racial identity even when it means leaning into death. Um, And that is a thing that I feel great grief over. It's a thing that I feel... um, as a white person, like a responsibility to grapple with and to push people into grappling with. um, I feel like preemptively exhausted by the white fragility that I think is gonna be manifest in the next week or so um, or beyond, but like, I'm already just like, oh Lord, the meetings and the conversations and like, yes, there is real terror to feel
1: um and also and the text messages and the text messages
2: and but just like an imperative to recognize that like you know where you stand where one stands on the spectrum of vulnerability and the spectrum of responsibility and um so I feel uh somewhat selfishly like preemptively exhausted by the work of pushing into that um yeah yeah so that's kind. Of, that's kind of kind of where I am. I feel. Um, yes. You know, it's yeah. a beautiful day, an anomalously mm-hmm. beautiful day. My friend uses the the word appreciation for when there's unseasonably warm weather. Um. So I'm feeling appreciation for the <laughs> fact that it's going to be 60 <laughs> degrees in November in Brooklyn today. Um, yep. But I am going to go with a beloved friend and comrade for a walk in the botanic garden this afternoon. Um and just try to um take a take mm. a moment to uh center, find purpose, um and root, because there's, you know, whatever happens, we still don't know what's gonna happen. Yes. But uh, yeah. you know, the the work is heavy and coming and here
0: yeah um thank y'all both for that i my check-in is it's interesting i feel like this election i let my body really learn from the last election so i was like oh like i you know that mark twain quote like the worst things in life maybe never happened (laughs) but it's just like we stressed out about them and so you know both in elections that we have won and that we have lost in the past I have let my anxiety just rule and my attention has been on worst case scenario. And this time I was like, I am a powerful witch in a community of incredible organizers and witches and like manifestors. And I am going to put all of my attention on what I want to be best case scenario. What kind of things can I conjure? And for the most part, it worked. You know, I was like, if it's a crisis, then I will know that and I will give that crisis attention and I will be angry and grieve and all of it. Um, but until that moment, I'm going to keep my eyes not in a confidence, right? It was like, this isn't confidence. This is manifestation. Because what I feel so aware of is we are in such a deep corruption. Like we, we scarcely know the scale of corruption of the system. Like we already, you know, it's like at so many levels, um, the Supreme Court level, the electoral college level, the actual local on the ground level, the lack of integrity that has been cultivated. There's so many levels at which that corruption is has woven through the fabric of this nation since its inception, and most recently it's been like hyper-activated. So I'm like, I get all that, and that means we have to rely on something almost greater than our material effort. <laughs> so it's like, we have to do everything we can and then also rely on something greater than our material effort. And so I have been doing massive ancestral work really just like, okay, like we need all of y'all on board. <laughs> we need your help. And I need been doing conjuring yesterday. I dyed my hair blue. Cause for some reason that felt like I, I was like, I need to dedicate my body to the victory in some way. And, I've been pulling cards and writing spells and sharing all of my spells publicly and just like really putting myself fully into conjure mode. Um, so yesterday, you know, I signed a bunch of like books because I was like, my books are also spells that I have put out in the world for a different future. And I want to sign these and like move that out. I listened to the audiobook and, you know, I just was doing all these things that were like, what is every positive thing that I can move out? And I did some phone banking uh, boost, which was also geeky, exciting, because I got to, the call was like all these labor leaders and just hearing how they were talking to each other was very faith restoring. Like there, it almost makes me want to cry because it was just like, these folks are like, we work so hard and, and we want that work to be honored. We want our labor to be honored. And we are white labor, most of them were on the call, they were like, we're white, and there's a lot of black and brown people amongst us, and we don't believe in this guy, and we don't believe in this way of being, and we don't want anyone to like represent us that way. And it was just such a restoring, I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) everyone is not a dumpster fire walking around being a shit show. Some people, a lot of people, millions and millions of people align with this conjure in some way of justice and of moving through this moment. And I wanted to share, before we dive into the next phase, the, I pulled a tarot card this morning, which is one of my practices. I pull a tarot each day for movement. And the movement tarot today that I pulled was from the Animal Spirit Tarot deck by Kim Krantz, and it's the bear. It's the bear. And the bear energy, the description says, waking from spiritual slumber, beginning anew, After a long winter, the bear arises from deep slumber. At first, the movement and effort are difficult, but the bear knows it's time to awaken and move toward the dawning light. The bear card represents an individual on the cusp of new directions and personal transformation. The initial weeks and months of the spiritual quest may feel tricky, cumbersome, and full of obstacles, but you have no choice, bear. Winter wanes, the warmth of spring emerges. And your transformation begins. And it really was like, oh, good. Like, whatever is happening, however that manifests, the spiritual awakening might happen through ongoing struggle. The spiritual awakening may happen because we have Biden and Kamala in. But... Whichever way, there's still so much work that has been awakened and is awakening in us, moving us towards abolition, moving us towards a different way of interacting across difference and race, moving us towards, a you know, a post-ignorance, post-hate future. So <laughs> that gave me a little boost of hope. And we're going to carry that right into the flume of rage. <laughs> what, what the
1: flume of rage. of rage?
0: The flume of rage! <laughs> Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-mm. That is okay. a full note. The flume of rage. The flume of rage. What <laughs> in the flume of, <laughs> of rage? Autumn and I added the flume of rage to the podcast because we were like, you we got a lot to be mad about. And it helps to just name explicitly what we're angry about. And I will say my flume of rage. And if you have one, great. If you're like, yep, I'm mad about that too. We can double down. D- ditto. But my main thing is that the election feels close. Um, And, you know, I'm reading all the different analysis. that are like, oh, when all the mail-in stuff comes in, it won't feel like that, blah, 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 whatever. But I'm like, it doesn't matter in this moment. Um, It feels so close. And it makes me so angry for all the people that participated in creating that condition. And I saw a little snippet from Van Jones that was like, what we wanted in this election was a moral victory. And we may be able to pull out a political victory. Like we may get the numbers, but in this moment we don't get the moral victory that's like, oh, this is not our values. And we all, you know, in 2016, people could say, oh, I don't really know him, or I don't know, maybe in leadership, whatever. (laughs) But it's like, no, no, no. Now you've seen for four years what's happening. You've seen how many people have died. You've seen the mess you've seen the shame that we have at an international scale you've seen all that and you still put your yourself your whiteness your economic (laughs) delusions ahead of um ahead of all these people so my rage is there yeah do y'all have anything you're upset about you're angry about
1: (laughs) um i agree with that rage um I think that it's hard to pick one, but (laughs) in the interest of (laughs) being succinct, I think this one will help me address a couple of things. Mm -hmm. I'm enraged um, by capitalism, the kind that we have in this country, which is a racial capitalism. It's a capitalism that um, is itself a death cult. I have been angry about it my whole life. But I became profoundly um, angry when I realized that people were going to die from this disease, from this pandemic, not because of this pandemic, but because of capitalism, because we live in a society where we would not secure conditions for safety for people when we were dead set on extracting their labor. And I am just... I'm just furious about that. And that is also what is undergirding Trumpism. That is what is killing the planet. Uh, that is what made people afraid of my, my man in Vermont, yeah. our uncle, our uncle Bernie and the progressive <laughs> movement.
0: Uh-huh. That is, That's right.
1: you know, that is a kind of ideology that blinds you to to human suffering and conditions such that and this is the last thing I'll say when almost a quarter million people have died this economy matters more that we have to be polite about what we say to this economy lest we hurt its feelings yeah you know, don't upset the Dow Jones, please do not upset it. And I was like, yo, the the fact that we can, we're going to get to the racism, right? But the, the yeah. racism for me checks out, as you know, um, because that's what I study. It checks yeah. out. I'm not, I never thought these are not our values. Like, that's insane. They are. Yeah. <laughs> but what doesn't check out is that you could be dying, like Kat said. You could be dying, there could be death all around you because people couldn't entertain the notion that we would lose money by letting people be home. And we would lose money by letting parents keep kids at home. You know, that we would send teachers in harm's way, not because we care about education, because we don't, we don't. We, 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 send, we send people to work in schools where they're getting sick so their parents can go to work and make money for you. And in the face of all this, there is something about this ideology that makes people be like, no, that's our guy. Yeah, that's our guy, because the economy is in the up and up. Like, yo, <laughs> there are people who have died in a scale that we have never experienced. And, this, and there, is a, there is a portion of our mentality as a nation that says, yeah, yeah, cool, but you know, how's the economy doing? That is, that is abhorrent, and that yeah. is immoral. And I want to sort of live in that rage going mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to stay in that rage going forward and be like, this is not a way. This is, these are not my ethics. These are not my politics. These, these are, this is not how I will raise my child. And that is not a future that I want. Um, so I don't know if that's all rage. It's just more resolve that I'm like, nah. This is, yeah. this is not okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a flume. It's a, it's a fire.
0: <laughs> it's a flume. Well, and you know that's the thing is it's like this bursting out. Right? It's like this bursting out, but then we're like, you know, we we keep laughing about the actual metaphor of the flume because it's like it's like it's actually coming from a volcano. It's <laughs> yeah, it's like, like an explosion, really okay. massive. So. Cat, it's like when you see the pictures of volcano and there's like the little blobs of lava
2: like flinging up, but you know that underneath there's just this like molten core core,
0: (laughs) exactly rocket coming, exactly
1: Janine's molten core of rage, exactly Janine's
0: molten core of rage.
2: Thank you. From there, we can pivot to cat's molten core of rage. Um, it's funny, Janine, what you were saying about like the talking about the economy, like don't hurt its feelings because my like. Previous, previous lives was doing economic justice work and studying economics. And I wrote this whole thing just about how crazy, I'm sorry, I shouldn't use that word, but how um, inappropriate the language is that we use to discuss the economy like it gets depressed and it's, um, we have sort of ascribed it with all these emotions and um,
0: behaviors as if it's alive.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And just how... Ludicrous and dangerous that okay. is. Um, and, you know, I have family in Europe and in England where they've now re entered lockdown. People are getting paid 85% of their wage when they stay home, you know. And in France, people get paid about the same of their wage when they stay yes. home. And here, you stay home and you starve. That's right. And that is um, certainly for me a source of just unbelievable rage and distress um yeah. you know there was a tweet that i saw a while ago where people were freaking out about another lockdown and someone said there was never a lockdown middle class people hid while poor people brought them things mm.
1: Mm,
2: mm, mm. and i was like yes that is a hundred percent what happened That's right um and um you know my election rage and my pandemic rage are pretty inseparable yeah. at this point um I think one sort of specific rage I was feeling today Mm -hmm. is that I think there's been an awakening among many progressive white people about the extent of their responsibility for where we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is good. But I feel great anger about how slow that is moving, (laughs) you know, Grace Lee Boggs always used to say you know what time is it on the clock of the world and the time that it is is late, it's late. It's it is past late due. y'all like mm-hmm. yeah so um, I feel um, frustration and anger that the move towards responsibility is uh, moving at the pace that it is and that is maybe just my Capricornian impatience of like everything should have happened already yeah.
0: No, um, I feel it too. I'm <laughs> just like, why are we so late? But I'm
2: having a hard time with it.
0: Yeah. It's late. It's late. Um. I feel this lateness too that's like it's infused with sci-fi, mm-hmm. visionary dream. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, we're supposed to be focused on like flying cars and instead y'all are still just being racist. <laughs> <laughs> like we can't get to our awesome future because we're just stuck in this like really limited worldview that re- literally takes all of our resources. Mm. Like You know, we have such abundance, but all of our resources get mobilized around isolationism, colonialism, racism, and it's just like, God, we could be living such a great human life and human experience if we could liberate ourselves from (laughs) those limitations. We come out of the flume. And Janine and I uh, both listened to this Brene Brown podcast recently where it was like, Emotions are a tunnel and you come through the tunnel and if you can get all the way, if you don't come through the tunnel, you get stuck in the tunnel, you're stuck in that emotion, and you're just looping in that space. But you come through and for me, I've been trying to give myself a little time with each emotion each day. Um, not that it's that controllable, <laughs> or I've been trying to just like when the emotions come, give it time to actually move me through to where it needs to move me through. So each day for some time now, there's been a moment or a period or an hour of grief and crying and sadness. There has been a period of rage and there have been periods of engagement. There have been periods of productivity. There have been other things. So Kat, you are one of the people who I have looked at as like the highest engagement, the highest production. Like as someone who's not like, I'm a paid organizer for the, you know, you've just been like all in doing election organizing, election calling, election engagement. So I wanted to hear why you engaged the way you did and where that, where the motivation came from for you to engage and, and what did you do?
2: Well, so I made a lot of phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, my family also sent letters, um, through vote forward to voters around the country and also, um, did a lot of um, sort of pushing, gently encouraging, not that gently encouraging other people to send letters and make phone calls. Um, My friends who follow my social media would very frequently see me being like, you can do it too. It's not that scary. Please join me. I'm calling on this day. Like, come on, come on, come on. Um, But yeah, I made a lot of calls with a group called Knock for Democracy. Um, They started in 2018, 2018. Doing door to door work around the midterm elections, and then obviously pivoted to helping people make phone calls during the pandemic. Um, the group made two point five million calls um, this cycle. I was on the call where we made the millionth call, and it was only like three or four weeks ago. Wow! Um, and I think that in the, la- the like the last three days before the election, they made half a million calls because we're at two million. Um, on Sunday when I was calling um but I had some really meaningful conversations with people I'd never made um election phone calls before I guess I made so- I made some during the primary um and I found it actually to be quite lonely even though it was before the pandemic like I was just sitting at home alone calling but the thing that I really enjoyed about knock for democracy is that you're on a Zoom you're seeing other people making calls they walk you through the call script um and it just felt much less lonely um The last call that I made, I was calling voters in South Carolina, and I talked to an older woman who had already voted, um, and she was saying, like, she was talking to all her grandchildren, and um, she was like, no, we're all set. Like, everyone that I know voted. Um, I'm still, like, working with some of the young people, and I was like, okay, like, do you have a pen? Can I just give you the number to ask for a ride if you know anyone who wants to vote but doesn't know how to get there? And can I give you the voter protection line? So just... um, There were two reasons why I was making calls, one of which was because I did a bunch of reporting in Iowa around the primaries and um, spent time with some organizers over the course of several months, some for the Warren campaign and some for the Harris campaign, and, um, you know, also connected with people from a bunch of other campaigns. But there was one organizer who the last time I was in Iowa was saying, you know, think about how you felt the morning after the election in 2016. And then think about whether you could honestly say to yourself, I did everything I could to make this not happen. And I could not. Uh Like, you know, I had given money. I had, you know, I don't even think I sent letters. I was just like, yeah, I have some money. Sure. Um, And she really was like, you all we have to leave it all on the field. We have to leave it all on the field this time. Like, wake up that next day with no regrets. And I really was like, all right, I am going to wake up that next day. Like, whatever happens, I really have to feel like I did my utmost. Um, And then the other reason is this thing I was talking about, just about um, white people identifying where they are on the spectrum of vulnerability and the spectrum of responsibility. Um, And in saying that, I certainly want to be very clear that I do not exclude myself from the process of learning my own um vulnerabilities and responsibilities um and i just felt like you know it's time to show up you just show up and you know some days when i was making phone calls i really was like i do not want to be doing this right now can i do it for half an hour yes you can do anything for half an hour and then like okay can you do 15 more minutes yes i can do 15 more minutes really it's funny but i kept thinking about labor where i would be like okay like five minutes, you can do anything for five minutes, like five more minutes, you can do anything for five minutes, like, really just grinding it out, because it's that feeling of like, every single one of us working to our utmost is the change, right? And everyone's utmost is different. But, um, you know, I think,
0: yeah, so that's why that's why I was doing it. Thank you. Um, Janine, what was the election engagement like for you?
1: Now I'm going to say like, I wasn't calling people because Kat was
0: <laughs> I was like, you know,
1: Kat had the phone calls and I feel like, you know, I wanted Kat as a, a white person to do her work and I would not presume to take her work from her. Thank you, Janine. You're welcome. <laughs> I was like, you know, you white people really need to talk amongst yourselves and call each other about this. <laughs> situation. Right. I was not, I, I told you this, and I will say it now to the people, I wasn't, I did not have the fortitude to call. I, I have been invested in, in um, this kind of like, tech uh-huh. pedagogy of yeah. self-preservation since 2016. And there are things that I can do well, and I do them. Yes. And there are things that I cannot do well, and I will not do them. And I will not be abused, um, except when I can't help it. And being in conversation with some of these people who wanted to vote for Trump for me right. is a kind of violence and abuse that I don't owe anybody, um, including this democracy. Now, 100%. there are sacrifices that I do owe this democracy, because we all do, because dem- democratic practice is a practice of sacrifice, because you have to be in community with people who want things that you don't want, and vice versa. So I, I strongly... Uh, subscribe to that idea. It comes from Danielle Allen, shouts to Danielle Allen, who's at Harvard, but um, I won't be abused. Um, I won't put myself in harm's way unless I have to. And that's true for my people and my son and my family. So I was like, I ain't calling. Mm -mm, I'm not. No, but I was a very productive text banker. (laughs) I text banked a lot. And even though my leaders were like, when people are rude to you, you don't have to be rude back. I was like, um, excuse me, then when is the fun of that? <laughs> uh, because it's like my little text is all, you know, you got these texts, you know, they're annoying. It's like all get out. It's like, hi, it's Janine from Pennsylvania. I was wondering if you, you know, and people were like, you. how many times I have to tell you dumb asses. And I was like, hmm. sir, sir, a simple stop would be would suffice yeah. <laughs> so that was me I would just respond like you could just say stop to quit you don't have to curse me out and then I would give these like explanations that I know would make somebody probably throw their phone where I would be like just so you know your name is on many lists and while I'm happy to tell you that I'm going to remove you from ours I apologize in advance for all the other people who are <laughs> going to be texting. because you know what someone said y'all have been so annoying I'm gonna sit out and I was like no bro no, that's not a good reason to sit out. Like we're doing our best. So I text banked. In the primary, I gave uh, Bernie and a bunch of progressive people all the money that I could physically give. Um, It's new stages for me to have money to give. But I was excited to give it. I was excited to recognize that I did have the ability to do that. So I did that um, not only like for the presidential, but some of these awesome progressives uh, that were happening all over. So a lot of Senate things that we were trying to do and a lot of yeah. seats like that. I think people got to get local. Um, I learned a lot about my local context because I just moved to Philly two years ago. So I made sure to start to plug into those um, communities and settings so I know what's going on in my community. And um, that's what the election was like yeah. for me. I was heartbroken. Um, during the primary about the way it went Uh, and and I want to say that out loud because people want to shame you about about having that position and um, I think that that's a mistake Um, I think that the progressive wave is real Um, earlier like two was it I don't even know time anymore, but a week ago, (laughs) not a day ago, (laughs) sorry. They had the progressive table where Bernie um, had a Zoom with AOC and most of the squad and a bunch of people in these progressive contexts, you know, um, before the election uh, wrapped up and it was a different world. Yeah, The energy, the candidates, how many are younger people and women and people of color and people of different faiths and how, how it sounds when a political movement is coherent to your values mm-hmm. and how optimistic everybody was on those calls and remains yes. now when we're in community. I feel like to continue to act like um, that, that's not the real world and this other like scarce, narrow. You know, hanging by the skin of our teeth to maybe get healthcare to a few more million people—that that—that's reality. That's pragmatism. So I did an election season that was rejecting that, where I I situated myself in a place. Um, I situated myself in communities that agree with me. Yes, I was going to help the Dems, right? But my my stuff was vote positive Pennsylvania. My stuff was. Um, you know, reclaim PA. Like I just was like in the world that made sense for me. And that helped me engage without that feeling of compromise, self-compromise and so on. So it was cool.
0: I really appreciate that. You know, um, I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but movement generation has this, this framework that I find really helpful for thinking about how we move through these moments, which is you We have these three it's the three circle model and so it's like there's what's politically possible there's false solutions and then there's what we actually need and all the time the struggle is how to move what we need into the circle of what's politically possible instead of right now the biggest overlap is between false solutions and what's politically possible and i think um you know i've been saying a lot like oh you need to have a political home that's not in the electoral process. So that you can be feeding your analysis and feeding yourself, but I heard uh, Maurice Mo Mitchell, who is the brilliant leader of the Working Families Party, said something that really shifted my my perspective and shifted my state there, which was like, "You do need that political home, and you need a party home, and you need to be able to move what is politically possible." Like all of that, and we can do hard things, we can do many things, we can do all right. the things, and I think you know the Working Families Party. I think is actually really brilliant in terms of how they're thinking about this, which is like, how do we move our values through the currently politically possible pathways? Um, But I think so much brilliance has emerged. And I I think that wave is real, that there are so many people who are thinking differently. And in some ways it feels like the nation is on the ropes of like, are you going to meet this progressive change or not um, or lose it? And, you know, all of my sci-fi has been about secession. So anyway, we're, (laughs) I'm like, yes. So Janine, part of what I was wanting to talk to you about today is like, you know, people have been saying that this is a this election is really about race. It's about white supremacy. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what happened last night, what's happening right now, what's playing out.
1: Right. So many things happened. Um, I think one thing that we have to understand that happened that happened a long, long time ago and keeps happening to us and 2016 kind of like put a flashlight on it, a spotlight on it is that the racism that afflicts this nation persists in part because it's given cover. It's given the cover of defensible positions and ideals. right? And so when 2016 happened, rather than us having an honest conversation about the way that um, a class analysis was necessary, we instead created this false narrative mostly through um, the mainstream corporate media, which leans right wing, center right, that what we were seeing was not racism. We were seeing economic anxiety that was being kind of hijacked by racism. And the historical record doesn't bear this out, right? The historical record You go, you read your Du Bois and Reconstruction, he tells you quite clearly that the, the first moment that white people understood that they were ruled by an elite that didn't have their interests at heart no more than they had black people's interests at heart, that elite tricked them into collecting what Du Bois called psychological wages, the wages of whiteness, which said, look, we're gonna not give you shit, but we can always guarantee that white supremacy, all right, can we shake on this? Yes. This is like, let's make this pact, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to say that those two things can be extricated such that someone can say, look, what I'm suffering from is economic anxiety. And I'm just literally just using this man to, to respond to that economic anxiety. The, the racism just comes on the side, but I'm not really Committed to that is to really, really counterproductively misunderstand how the two things are entrenched, um, and I think that what we saw was that once you gave folks permission to aid and abet a racist to that degree, right? Then, then the monster comes and sits center stage. You you do have to think about what happens when the monster comes and sits center stage. The people who say, it doesn't matter, it's always been there and now at least we're looking at it. I hope that those people will stop saying that because it really does matter if it's sitting in the White House as opposed to in the fringes of like 4chan. It matters a tremendous uh, amount because what that man can generate when he whips this country into a racist frenzy, we have now seen is, you know, wanted destruction. It is almost an unstoppable force, that frenzy, right? When, you, when he can get 50,000 people in Pennsylvania this like a few days ago to show up maskless purely because they're drinking that, you know, that racism Kool-Aid, because they're not drinking the economic Kool-Aid. Yes. Right? Because they're, they're, they're under a pandemic because they're aware that he's incompetent. These are true things, like you can't convince me. People try to talk to you like, they don't understand things, Janine. I'm like, I, I understand human beings. Human beings are like h- how I am. They're organisms in the world. They're impacted by material conditions. There's no way they don't know that people are dying. There's no way they don't know that they've been walking around in masks and that they don't have jobs that pay them decent wages. They know that. So what's going on? They are in a frenzy. They're in a racist frenzy that pays dividends, it pays a dividend. And until we can grapple with the fact that that emotional or psychological dividend is getting paid to people and they are collecting it, until we can sit like Kat was saying with those people and look them in the eye through these processes that you know, Adrian, I engage with that are educational processes that say, listen to me, there's no way to do this and be a decent human being. You need to decide if you're a decent human being or you believe these things. I'm Not gonna let you call it like you can't have it both ways. You can't say you're about Trump, but you're not a racist. I won't talk to you like you're a child cause you're not a child, right? I'll talk to you like a fellow mature member of this democracy. I will say those values cast you out. They cast you out. No, we will not make room for you right? And this is not a process of exclusion. This is not a process of, of shunning people. This is not a postal elite statement. This is discernment. This is like, how are you saying that you want to be in democratic practice with me when you operate from a white supremacist ideology? Those things don't make any sense. No. And the fact that you're struggling yeah. economically doesn't mean anything to me yes. because people of color are struggling economically too right, worse than you are. So I think one thing that happened is we've seen that if we continue to entertain this false narrative, all it does is gain. It gains power, it gains legitimacy, it gains momentum because we saw over the last four years that it became incredibly, almost impossible, almost impossible for racist people to have any degree of shame in the public sphere. We all experience that. It started with like, oh, dog whistling. I mean, we are so far from dog whistling. Why? Because it's not necessary anymore. Because we said, when you do racist things, we're going to allow you to say you're doing something else.
0: Yes, that's right. I really, I appreciate this because it ties in so much. You know, I've been thinking a lot about cancellation, cancel culture. Like, what do we push away? What do we bring towards us? And One of the places I've really landed is like, we have to be able to hold the line, the boundary that says, no, like if you behave that way, you can't come in here. And we also have to create the space that's like, but you need to go there. Like you need, there needs to be a place. And I think that's currently, when I look at our system, that's what feels like Catalyst is trying to do. That's what showing up for racial justice is trying to do. But I don't think we have enough boxes for that, which are like, you you have gotten fully disconnected from your humanity. You need a place to reconnect. And I, as a black person, I don't have it. I can't help you. I I really can't, right? Because I'm so, like you said, I, I can't open my most vulnerable places to where you are without causing great harm to myself. And so I keep thinking about that, that it's like what you're speaking to is like we have to hold the boundary between that white supremacist choice and where the rest of us are trying to move. And we have to create other places for folks to go. And I think that that's true regardless of what happens over the next couple of days, weeks. And I think that's that's what, I don't know why, but it gave me a lot of comfort yesterday that I was like, most of what we need to do continues regardless of the outcomes. <laughs> most of what we need to do has, you know, I, I I had said a few years ago, things are not getting worse, they're getting uncovered. And I really deeply believe this has been this huge unveiling. This is what is. These are the bones of this country. There's something rotten in the marrow. That's what is. And now we can all see it, and it's what are the choices we make. And one thing that I think is really key here is what people hear, what people are hearing. And Kat, I wanted to come back to you and with your journalist hat on, talk a little bit about the responsibility of journalism for for where we are and how we move forward. Because I so much of this period feels like the concept of truth has gotten decimated and journalists have played a big part in that, I think. So I'd love to hear from you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess in some ways it's funny, but I'm not sure that's a hat I wear in my mind anymore. Um, you know, I worked in news organizations um, for many years. And, um, I now work making, um,
0: amazing (laughs) podcasts, audio content that I
2: think (laughs) is informative. Um, Uh but I am not like bound by the strictures that people are who work at places like the New York times or NPR. Like I can support candidates. I can phone bank, you know, none of which are things that you can do when you work at those places. Um, I think after the 2016 election, there was a big um, reckoning with journalists' um, responsibilities and what they should and shouldn't be doing. I think that that continues, thanks actually in part to um, the uprisings um in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and just the like presence of BLM as a force, um, in the discourse, I think is pushing newsrooms to confront some things about themselves that are very long overdue, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which did not happen in the me too moment, um, which in many places was very focused on gender to the exclusion of race. Um, but I think there's a lot of newsrooms that are finally asking, um, how the traditional frameworks of objectivity coexist with allowing people who work in those places to show up with their full selves and the truth of who they are in their experiences. Right. Um, when what we call objectivity is often um, another name for the status quo of white cis patriarchal um, Mm -hmm. subjectivity, right? So I think the space between, um, I think people are starting to unpick the word objective and what we mean when we say objective and whose objective it is. And I think that that is slow and I think it's necessary. Um, And I also think it's a lot to ask of journalists of color to stick it out in places that don't um, let them, be present as their full selves. Um, So I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen as these next months unfold, because I think a lot of people um, are trying to balance like existing within institutions that are very difficult places to be with the effort to change those places with the effort to also just tell the truth that they see in the world and having that be framed as a subjective thing. Um, So, Yeah, I mean, I think that that's just sort of like the tension that we're living in and moving in.
1: And um,
2: capitalism.
1: 100%. I think there's a corporatization problem there too. Like to go back to what my flume, what my flume, what my flume of rage is about capitalism, you know, what is that thing? Like everything now, I didn't even read Dune. I just quote capitalism is the mind killer. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, white supremacy is the mind killer. Fear is the mind killer. Capitalism is the mind killer. Why? Because what, we're, what we saw in 2016, and I mean, you know this cat better than I do, but we all saw it, and I think that we didn't reckon with it enough, was that the media, uh, yes. you know, got in bed with this person because the ratings were so good. And we have never actually divested and by we I mean the mainstream media that that trades on access to him has never divested from a, a, a kind of transactional relationship with this man where they look me in the face and say oh but I, we have to promote what he says he's the president as if you know we all didn't take ethic classes and we don't know what is taught in journalism schools like first of all stop making excuses for yourselves like everybody go to Soledad O'Brien online and watch her, she's doing like a masterclass every day 24 seven on Twitter and Instagram about how journalists is journalism is supposed to be done. And I'm saying that only because I don't think that we actually, I think that we need the demographics to shift in these newsrooms. Absolutely. That's compositional diversity. But damn it, America, people need to do their fucking jobs. Okay. You need to do your fucking job, New York Times, do your job and you don't need there to be black people in the newsroom for you to know that you're not doing your job when you're saying things like uh, falsehoods and whatever all the thesaurus that you have all created to not be able to call this man a liar when he lies, not be able to call this man a sociopath when he is that. I mean, these are factual statements. So I'm, I wanted to say because it angers me as a teacher and a pedagogue that we have now created a situation where our corporate media has helped to create a population, a majority that thinks that knowledge doesn't exist anymore and figuring out what the F is going on is actually impossible, which is how you get authoritarianism. Because if you overwhelm people to the point where they're like, listen, the best that I can do is get like this person's opinion squared with that person's opinion. And really there's no way I can really find out what's going on. They will turn to a crazy man who's like, don't worry about it. I'll tell you what's going on. So we have to understand that, that there are incentives that are um, contaminating processes that we do have in a democracy. We do have, we're supposed to have a free press.
0: Right. We don't need a
1: revolution to have a free press. Right. It's 2020. Do your job. Stop creating more problems. You know what I mean? Like we need to fix the electoral college. Okay, that's mm-hmm. revolutionary. Some stuff is not. Y'all need to stop BSing. That's right. Okay, that that White House press corps needs to <laughs> stop. Shouts to Yamiche. I'm not talking about Yamiche. You know that. But the people who are like, um, hi, if we say certain things, we won't be able to get in the room yet. Excuse me, I would like to say on behalf of America, what did you gain in information by being in the room with that man for the last four years? Make a pro list and a con list. What data that we needed about President Trump was gathered in his presence and from his mouth? And the only thing you were able to ascertain was when you got far from him. When you got the hell away from him and investigated things and paid people to actually go talk to real people, right? And we stayed in the room with him and you flooded newspapers, you flooded the television and you flooded all informational channels with this man. Why? Because you were getting the story, you were not getting the story, right? And then we get to 2020 and you're like, people don't know who he is. I'm like, well, have you helped? Have you helped? Like, They literally were like, please do not broadcast his lies about how he just won this election. And people were like, I mean, he's the president. We have to. Do you have to? It's a lie. He did not not.
0: yet win this election. That's That's right. I love this. And I think you started moving us in the direction of my final question, which is, what do we do? What should we do? Right? Where do we focus our attention? And something I've been saying for I think this entire (laughs) administration, um, is play your position, right? That I think part of what happens to people is we get so overwhelmed because there's so many fires around us. And so it's like, I have to try to put out all the fires. And then in that overwhelm, we, we end up not playing any position well, or we end up with a strong armchair analysis, you know, a lot of thoughts, but not able to move into action. And, one of the guiding principles that I hold on to from Octavia Butler is that belief initiates and guides action or it does nothing. So in this moment where people are like, okay, we have an analysis around capitalism. We have an analysis around race. We have an analysis around press. We have an analysis around these things. Um, What are a couple of things that are like, this is where Um, I can go. I
1: I was listening to you, Adrian, talk to, I listen to you all the time, Adrian, whatever you talk. Oh my God. I just listen. And I just like such a fan. Thank you. Um, (laughs) We're fan friends. So I was listening to you (laughs) talk to Alicia Garza about her book, uh, which was an extraordinary conversation. And thank you to you both. I think it was in that conversation that she talked about the importance of what you just said. She said, find the lane that is your lane and Work your butt off in that lane and don't make people feel like you need to be an expert of all the things. Yes. And for me, so I want to say that that's the solution yeah. and I want to say what it, mean, what it means for me as an example of what I think everybody can do. For me, there's two things. I'm primarily in my world, in my mission. I am a post racist imaginator, right? I am trying to teach people about what I call the post-racist imagination, which is beyond anti-racism in the sense Mm. that, you know, feminism is beyond just being anti-patriarchy. And when I say post-racist imagination, I'm thinking about both a level of really nuanced, critical understanding of what racism is, and an ability to think beyond it, not in a flimsy, like, post-racial, none of that, just how do you extricate a cancer from an organism without destroying the organism? What practices do we keep and how how do we heal them and keep the ones that we get to keep and what do we abolish and leave behind? And that work for me is a teaching pedagogical mission and it's about having knowledge uh, be something that people can use to transform themselves into into the kind of people that can see through what's being done to them, right? So any encroachment in human flourishing, like Mm -hmm. I consider my job to be like, okay, how can I help you with me, get the information that you need to see how they're playing you. And in my case, it's like to see how white supremacy is playing you. So it can stop playing you. And we can kind of just like, call the jig, you know, and Mm -hmm that is work that I can do well. And that is work that I can do in multiracial and inclusive ways that I find that that's the kind of thing that I can do that the democracy needs, you know? So it's like, I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna be really mad about capitalism and poverty every day. So those are my jobs. Yes. So I'm going to do that in my teaching and my writing and my thinking. And then in terms of like my political life, it's just going to be centered about low income people. And it's going to be a class analysis. And it's going to be about, you know, telling people who are poor or struggling, listen, there's a way to solve your problems that do not involve scapegoating anybody. Nobody. So let's talk about that, you know, unions and healthcare and that that's I'm going to live in that space politically like you said what's politically right. possible for me is that that's right. and then my other job is this teaching job I'm going to be teaching you know what I mean and everything else leave me alone
0: don't bother me
1: do your that's job right. press thank
0: god do your job uh, elected officials do your <laughs> job that's right right that's right that's great what about for you Kat Where do we go from
2: here? Yeah. I need to think on that one, where we go. I mean, I know where I, I think one of the things that I can do well is, um, to be an amplifier. So, um, in some ways that looks like making parables with you and Toshi, you know, like finding ways to bring my skills to bear, to amplify the voices that need to be heard. Um, And, um, I have a sort of professional commitment that I don't invisibly make white men look smart. Um, (laughs) and that is just not a thing that I choose to do with my skills. As long as I have the capacity to make those choices, there may be points where like, I don't have the economic privilege to choose my labor in that way, but as long as I get to make those choices, that's the choice that I make with the amplification skills that I can bring to bear, um, And I think the other thing that I can do is be in the practice of amplifying pathways to engage in the work, Um, particularly for other white people um, who are like in the process of um, grappling with their responsibilities and capacity and really grappling with the question of like, what is the position that they should be playing and it might not be the position that feels easiest or most comfortable or the one that they've been in or the one that has been their position in a previous time Um, but like at this point on the clock of the world really what is the position that you should be playing and helping people um just keeping putting opportunities in front of people to do the work in various ways and people can find how they fit in as i continue to find how i can and should fit in but um and then i think the other thing that's taken me a really long time to feel like it's a valid contribution is just um sustaining like literally sustaining the people around me who are doing other kinds of work like we have a friend who did an 18 hour shift as an election defender in philadelphia yesterday and i'm gonna meet her in the park and bring her some soup and bring her some baked goods and like literally nurture her literally sustain Um, her yes because that is another thing that i do well and i think um yeah, I think my position right now is like amplification and nurture. Um,
0: yeah, that's great. And I I, I also want to say for both of you, it's not a small thing that you're also raising children and like having these modes of thinking as the frameworks into which next generations are being developed feels so important to me. Um, like all the people right now, you know, I don't think it's an accident that in a moment when everything in society needs to change so drastically. So many children are now home with their radical parents and that that radical framework building can happen in a different way perhaps than trusting in the educational system, which is not designed to help our, our children find a moral compass. Um, it's designed to make them cogs in a system. And I think there's something really important about you know, and, and whatever, you know, as the pandemic plays out, um, <laughs> it's such a stressful way to enter into like homeschooling and figuring that stuff out. But I do see for a lot of the children in my immediate life, the benefits that are happening because they are being they're getting to spend a lot more time around their amazing, brilliant, awesome, radical parents.
2: Can I share one thing about that, Adrienne, from yesterday, which was that I was home with my four-year-old and she is learning to read. And so it was like blank A-T and she was supposed to be filling in all the different letters like cat, bat, mat, whatever. And there was one picture of a slightly um, rounder person and she was like, I don't know what that, I don't know what this wants me to say here. And
0: oh. um, <laughs> oh, baby,
2: she was like person but that doesn't and I was like no I, I think the the last letter that we have left is F for fat and she was like no a person? I'm, no and then there was another part where she was supposed to say like G for girl or B for boy and she was like but I don't know if that person is a girl or a boy like it was oh, a person with short yay. hair <laughs> so then we left those ones blank and she recorded a voice memo for her teacher that was like I don't think it's nice to call people fat and we can't tell from a picture whether someone is a boy or a girl and just submitted that.
0: I love her so much. I love she was that. really
2: clear. She was just like, I am not putting an F in this line here. Like Mm-mm. you know, and it's not even like we had a conversation about it. She was just like, no.
0: And you recognize, you know, I think we start to recognize just how much of that conditioning It's like, oh, we prepare them and then they go into these school systems where it's like the conditioning is so regressive. And so now I just, I I don't know, it gives me a little hope that I'm just like, okay, like let's make use of this shaping time. So the final, final little piece before we go that we've been adding to the show because we're like, culture is getting us through this moment. We call it top culture. And it's like, what, what show, what music, what thing in the world fashion whatever it is what is getting you through this moment
1: you can go first because you said fashion and I don't I just already know what you're gonna say
0: you know know, I don't mean to impose (laughs) upon
1: you but it sounds to me like maybe you Adrian have something you want to get off your
0: chest. you know fashion um
1: please the floor is yours
0: (laughs) okay I will say that mine is, and I love that I I actually wrote it in my notes, like I would forget. So, (laughs) so a couple weeks ago, my team gets an email from Ivy Park. I'm going to tell you this story because I've been like, everybody wants to know. Obviously, everybody. Everybody. (laughs) That's the other thing that happened. So, Ivy Park and Parkwood sent an email to my team. Would Adrian like a gift from the new? Ivy Park collection, age and my team. They, you know, like almost nothing gets through to me at this point. I'm like, I'm booked for the year. I have nothing, no available, nothing. And they're like, um, you want this? <laughs> they're like, this is something <laughs> you want to pay attention to. I was like, yes, yes, I do. I'll send you. You know, they're just like send clothing size, send shoe size, and we'll just send a package, right? So I don't know when it's gonna come. I don't know how it's gonna come. And my expectation is like it's going to be like a sweatshirt and a pair of shoes. This is what I've like decided in my head is the level of Beyonce love that I'm willing to receive. Like
1: literally one shoe. That's well, yeah I'm just like <laughs> just
0: give me one shoe and I'm like I'm so one satisfied. One sneaker. I've one been sneaker. in love with you for so long that if you give me a shoelace if you're just I, like Ivy Park shoelaces and a visor I'd be like boom. A key chain. I
1: mean, A keychain would have been fine.
0: Exactly and especially you know y'all know me I've been learning to love my body for my whole life and but my automatic default assumption is always like there's not going to be something that can fit Beyonce and look good on Beyonce that can also fit me right. a fat woman and also look good on me so it's just like I'll just get whatever drags of, you know socks I'll be happy whatever right? and so so then I then you kind of I had just put it out of my mind so I was like I can't be thinking about this and time passes, whatever. Right. So I'm just like, I just can't have it in my mind. And so I didn't. And so then I, I ordered some groceries. My sweetheart is the one who like now goes downstairs to get the groceries because I'm on knees. And so she comes running back up with like the groceries. And she's like, there's a massive, massive, massive box on the porch for you. And I was like, huh. And I'm like checking all the different places I ordered. So I'm like, I haven't ordered any massive box. I, I literally no idea what this is. She brings the box upstairs. upstairs. I'm like, I don't know what this is. And she's like, I'm going to film this just in case. And I was like, it literally was like, no, it's not that. Like, I was just like, it's not that. So don't like, that's just silly. And so I start opening the box and she's filming anyway. And I open the box and it's like a huge closet inside of a box, a green closet inside of a box of so many Love notes from Beyonce directly to me, my body, my spirit, my soul. And it's Ivy Park line. And, you know, I'm like, I don't wear bras. I don't <laughs> wear suits. I don't wear any of this stuff. But immediately I love it all. And it's my favorite. And it looks now.
2: unbelievably <laughs> amazing.
0: I put it all so good. And it looks great. Like, I, I'm like, everything fits like a glove so far. So, and I, I, had no chill. There's nothing in me that's like, play it cool. What I was like, nothing in me is playing it cool. This is my joy. And the strategy of it, of her, because the way she thinks about stuff to me is so, her and her team, the way they all think about stuff is so brilliant to me that I'm like, you know that we would need an infusion of some kind of joy in this moment. And so you dropping a clothing line And just letting us know like two weeks before like drip two, you're giving us something on Halloween, like right before this shit show of a horrible dumpster fire moment, you're just going to gift us something beautiful. And I definitely, definitely put everything on, loved it all. And then the box is sitting in the middle of my living room. Like it may never move. It's an art installation. It's I, every, I don't even want to try to, like, hang the stuff in the closet. It's like, you belong in this box, and this box belongs here in the middle of my life. And Ask
1: a question for the public. <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: Okay, so um,
1: we saw that you did a colla- an initial very, mod- may I say, modest collage, where you were like, oh, here's a little postcard of all my little trinkets. <laughs> and it was like, oh, what, shall we say a, a, mis- a, mi- a mix and match, you know, of the colors <laughs> yes. and a little detail. And then and then that was like, oh. And then you properly got some sense. <laughs> can you know kept kept it real with yourself and the and the public. Absolutely. And you were like, here's all the Azure thing. Yes. With proper photos. Yes. Styled. Yes. And I, I like, as my your friend was like. Oh. My lips are blue. I as your friend was like, great, because I don't have to
0: tell her that because I didn't want to be that person <laughs> that's <laughs> like <laughs> Come on, pull it together.
1: Well, I don't know how to say this to you, but you have not done your due diligence. You
0: do... Yes, when is the when is the pink
2: collage coming, Adrian? That's the crucial exactly. question. Yeah, so the exactly. question is, are you going to go, okay, how so you're going to do all of right?
0: So what I thought, well, first of all, you know, in my brain of how this was all going to go, I was going to be dressed in some cute outfit when I opened the box. Right. And I wasn't, I was wearing an awesome sweatshirt that says petty black feminist. And, but my hair was busted. I had on sweatpants that were like falling off. Like it was like, this is not the unboxing outfit that I needed to have on. It was
1: very cinema. Very. Yes.
0: It's like, this is pandemic at home with Adrian. It's lucky that I had pants on at all. So, and So there's more of the unboxing video that may never, ever be seen by people that are not close friends. But I did release some of the unboxing video. And then my idea is to, at least for this next week, kind of give a a look a day. So that wasn't even all the Azure stuff I have. That was just like one look, right? Is like, here's what it looks like with, the jacket, the pants, and the sports bra, and then this like mesh jacket amazingness. And then I want to just drop, like there's this dress, there's a whole other azure outfit with a skirt and top. So I'm just like, I think we're going to need this sustenance. And so I want to bring, like sort of make it last as long as possible. I'm considering hair dyeing for the different color schemes. I have lipstick that goes with the different color schemes. And you know, this is like, actual model people and like fashion like people receive these boxes so i've seen online like okay that's what it looks like when like a janet mock receives this box this is what it looks like when a carrie washington receives this box but i also want people to know like this is what it looks like when an adrian marie brown receives this box like i don't know from fashion i don't really do makeup i just do a lip and an eye and i'm like i don't i'm happy now so i'm like let me rise up to meet this this gift this moment (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, because I feel like it, it gets it gets. I mean, it gets closer to the rest of us that like that's what that's what would happen if we got the exactly. box. So I think it's perfect exactly. that way because it was like a super highly produced video. It's like, well, you know, do you have people in your house right now? What is wrong with you? Who,
0: who's filming me? And you know, it's so funny because I'm like, I do have a filmmaker in my home with me, but she's busy, <laughs> like doing like her we're life. not doing this. <laughs> you know, she actually she's like, I'll film you, but I'm like, I just. That's that's not really me, you know. Me right. is I'm like, look, I took a picture in the mirror. Here you go. And so I'm trying to step up for the moment. She took the pictures for the azure look one, very cute. Um, and you know, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep doing stuff. I think that I'll, I'll this is the last piece, and then we'll see what y'all have. The last thing is my face in all the pictures is so hilarious to me because I cannot really function at the facial level because. <laughs> As I'm trying to like do anything, I'm just sort of like, does this, does this mean that she like knows who I am? You know, like that's all that actually matters. You know, like I'm like, she could have sent me like a box full of plastic bags and like, you know, paper shoes. And I would have just been like, but does this mean she knows who I, like who I am? Like I can't function at that level.
1: And the I don't information know is very close happen, to the truth. Right? I'm just sort
0: of like, this is, you know, what I can live with is like someone at Ivy Park or someone at Parkwood was like. This bitch loves her F's and Beyonce, we're gonna send her a box. <laughs> that I can I can function with that.
2: <laughs> or potentially this is a person who is an incredible visionary thinker, and we would like to meet that thinking
1: with the gift of these adornments. I believe that was the um the that was the logic behind how the drop this time went beyond celebrities to mm-hmm. activists and people who do cultural work that matter. Yeah. So
0: Exactly. There's other like cultural workers and like shapers and thinkers. So I'm like, good. Whatever, whatever landed me there. I love that. What I know about at least the last 10 years of my life is I've only been doing things I'm deeply passionate about and I love. And one of them includes uplifting Beyonce in every text and everything I do. And so it feels like I'm like, I've invested in my analysis of loving her. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's actually, I'm just like, she deserves this love and here's why. So I'm like, I, I'm, I'm here for all of it. So that's my top culture. <laughs> um, what's been getting y'all through?
1: Thank you so much for that. Um, I, as you know, Adrian, you don't know this cat, but now you will. I am a proficient dance party solo dance party practitioner, oh, yes. I have the um, yeah, that's what I do. And so I have many little playlists that I make for myself. And if they're really dope, uh, they'll carry through a season. So I'll be playing a playlist that says summer <laughs> right now because I'm like, I one want <laughs> to really was banging. So um, what's getting me through is uh, my my dance parties, but specifically, I, my preferred dance that makes me happy is any kind of a two-step. Mm. Um, I, I just love to two-step around my house. Um, and right now, that song that, that I Don't Want to Dance Alone by, um, I think her name is Taylor Parks, literally is like, you cannot not be happy dancing to that song. Like, I will be in a dark place and play that stuff very loud and just be happy my brain will be like no no we're happy i'm like no no we're we're in the dredge of like it's really a dark place for humanity and my brain is like no that's not what your feet are saying and that and that's what's getting me through
0: I love that. And I love, I love your sustaining and deep music. Oh my God. Like a 15 year old. It's so good. It's so nourishing. Forever. 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 Thank you. What about you, Kat?
2: Well, my family has recently gotten into the Nintendo switch, like dance game. Um, So that has been both like some endorphin situation and just some like goofy joy. Um, I've been starting every day with Dory Midnight's um, Queer Mm -hmm. Blessings, um, which is a really just grounding thing to start my day with. Um, When you were talking about Beyonce and the clothes, I was just thinking about the part where she says, like, um, blessed are you, I can't remember exactly, but like, who like rebels in the fact that we adorn ourselves as altars. And I really was like, yes, like. You know, oh, as someone who boss. is still trying to, um, you know, find the impetus to put on things that are um, what my friend calls hard pants <laughs> as opposed to sweatpants. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I on like the days that. that I wear hard pants, I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm getting dressed.
0: That's great.
2: Um, I'm doing a lot of mending um, because it is a practice that connects me to my ancestors who are like makers and menders. And also because I think there's something sort of therapeutic about like fixing things right now. Oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I love that.
2: And then this morning I woke up with, I don't know if you guys know that Gwendolyn Brooks poem, um, it's actually called Paul Robeson, but there's a part in it where she says, um, we are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. Yes. And that, Today I was just like, okay, like that's us. That's us. Um, that's us. We okay. we are each other's harvest, and truly, we are each other's business. To say that's my favorite yes. line is that
1: we so. are each other's business.
0: Me too. Yeah. Yep. I've always loved that. Me too. I love both of you so much, my brilliant fashionista expert and analytical friends. Um, Thank you so much for hopping on with us this morning, and to our listeners, thanks for listening to our show. We are on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash End the World Show. You can help us sustain our show by writing a review. Um, on Apple Podcast and wherever you listen, and our show is produced and edited by the incomparable New Baby Daddy Zach Rosen, who is doing like baby daddy slash like podcast production every day right now. It's just sort of like yes, I'm making it happen. And our music for today's show comes from Tune Day and Mother Cyborg. We will see you next time.